I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is our 100th episode. This is where Rob will insert clapping and like fireworks sounds. When we started this, did you think we'd get to 100 episodes? I kind of did. Yeah? I just thought we were going to kind of do it indefinitely because I didn't think it would be... Well, I think we'll end up doing it indefinitely, A lot too. of... Uh, a we lot do of it effort. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Then you do, and most of the effort's on your... Cause you yeah, we need editing. to get you editing. I know. Yeah. But, but yeah. I did have some thoughts. It's like there, there's, there's so many, you know, wonderful memories about the 100 episodes. Like that one time where we watched that movie and then I made that joke... Uh-huh. Or there was that other movie that you shared that trivia piece on. Uh-huh. Just wonderful memories. Yes, they are good memories. Actually, the question that I didn't even tell you I was going to ask. Oh, okay. What would, be, what would you say was your favorite movie we've recorded about so oh. far? That would be... I That's really tough. I don't know. Some of my favorite episodes, I really liked our episode on The Exorcist that we just barely... Uh-huh. I really like the episode on Bombshell. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And any time where we have something that we both really enjoyed, I think those make the best episodes. Yeah. I think sometimes it's fun to get angry at a movie, but I think that the, the better episodes are, are when we have a lot to say. Yeah. I really enjoy our Werner Herzog episodes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Nosferatu the Vampire, I like that, mm-hmm. you know, recording about that, so... Well, so for today, you guys may hear periodically my dogs. They are here recording. We're recording in the middle of the daytime, which is unusual for us. Usually my dogs are in bed asleep by now, or by the time we're recording, I should say. Mm-hmm. But my dogs are around, so you may hear them periodically. Episode 100, Nate, what did we watch today? We watched the 2020 Clint Eastwood release, directed and starring him, titled Cry Macho. Yes. We went and saw this in the Dollar Theaters. We waited for the Dollar Theaters because of the critics' reviews. Yes. I, I had basically come to the conclusion, like, I should just go see whatever Clint Eastwood does that's in the theater until he dies. And I was planning to see this in the first-run theater, but then I saw those reviews. They were all middling. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Then maybe I'll wait. It worked out. Yeah. Worked out. I mean, I can see some... I can see critiques of this. Yeah. And of these late-directed yeah, Clint Eastwood movies, which we've talked about on the podcast that we're fans of, of these, this might be my least favorite of them, mm-hmm. but it still worked. Oh, yeah. It's, it worked, and yeah. it worked better than I thought it would, and I that would say keeps that the, happening with him. Well, I would say the latter half works a lot better than the first half, Okay, yeah. and I've got critiques of, of this movie that we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. The first half, I, I was kind of with the critics. Mm. And the latter half kind of won me over a little yeah, bit. It does grow. Yeah. Who's in it? What's it about? So this movie, obviously, Clint Eastwood directed, Clint Eastwood starring. Clint Eastwood plays Mike Milo, a down-on-his-luck former rodeo star, you know, somewhat down-on-his-luck, who gets wrangled into going to Mexico to retrieve his former employer's son and bring him back to Texas to his employer under the guise that the son is being abused by cohorts of the mother. Which is technically accurate, but yes. not the whole story. And his former employer is Howard Polk, played by Dwight Yoakam. I didn't realize that was Dwight Yoakam till the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. We have Rafo, the son, played, played by Eduardo Manet. You have Leita, played by... Well, actually, Leita's not the one I was looking for. Leita by Fernanda 
Yura Jula, but you were wanting to talk about Marta, Marta. by Natalia Traven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's the granddaughters, but those are our main cast of characters. Dwight Yoakam, Natalia Traven, Eduardo Minet, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's our main cast of characters. Those are the people you're going to see the most. But yeah, so Clint Eastwood, Mike Milo goes down to Mexico to retrieve the boy, meets the mother who initially seems as though she's welcoming him to take the boy. But we later learned that was just a guy's because she hasn't been able to find the boy. Want, you know, and still wants him. Mike convinces Rafo to come with him to Texas to go back to his father's place, to his father's ranch. And then the mother's employees are pursuing them, trying to get Rafo back. We learn partway through the, the movie that Howard Polk, Dwight Yoakam's character, only wants the son back as leverage against the mother for basically financial, because you know, fights. Principally wants him back for that. There, there is some, uh, some, some honesty or earnest yeah. motive, mm-hmm. but that's his primary motivation is to use him as leverage against the mother to get some financial gains out of some investments they they had. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the plot? It's a nice, simple plot. It is based on a novel. And I loved the simplicity of it. I loved the understatedness of it, which you often get, especially with these latter. Well, I guess Clint Eastwood is always nicely understated. Yeah. And it's a pretty simple story. In some ways, you're kind of waiting for more to happen than ultimately happens, which isn't a bad thing. There's a lot of obvious kind of metaphorical things going on here. The boy's kind of wild. Clint Eastwood, he, he broke horses, or at least he used to, and so he has to kind of break the boy. And then you've got the good mother figure, and the or the bad mother figure. Well, you the bad father figure, kind of, and then he's the good father figure, and then the mother is kind of a bad mother, and then you have a good mother figure that emerges really in the, the second half of the movie. So Eastwood goes down there, has his dealings with the biological mother, eventually him and the boy start heading up north to get to the border. Over the process of doing this, their car gets stolen. It's a neat old late 1970s uh, Suburban, yeah. which I, I like. So this is supposed to be taking place yeah, it's in a, the time frame of like 1979-1980. It was a period piece, which I did not know and was not expected was going to be going in, but I liked that. It's also, you know, when you're, you're shooting in, I would imagine this was principally shot in Mexico. I don't there's a lot of rural Mexico is going to look about the same now as it would have looked 40 years ago. It was mostly shot in New Mexico. Oh, okay. So, so they, they end up having to steal three different cars over the course of this journey, and we just kind of accept that. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's not a big deal here. Yeah. And Well, Rafa tells us it's, it's okay in Mexico. We're very friendly people. We're very friendly. I borrow it here, and someone borrows mine, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And they end up kind of stuck in this little podunk town because the second of the cars, or no, the first of the cars they stole has like some kind of a brake fluid leak or something. And they are protected by this woman, kind of middle-aged woman, who turns out to be a widower raising her grandchildren after her husband, daughter, and son-in-law all died in some kind of an outbreak a couple years earlier. All from the same illness. And she is just... Wonderful. She's just yeah. a wonderful person. And, and Eastwood doesn't really speak Spanish, and she doesn't really speak English. And so Raffle 
the boy initially uh, helps the communication, but they eventually get to the point where they don't really need words, and and this they fall for each other, and it's really sweet. And you fu- you find out earlier that Eastwood's character is a widower. His wife and child had died in a car accident decades in the past. And Dwight Yoakam's character is the one that basically gave him work and kind of cleaned him up. And so he feels, even though there's a bit of a frenemy thing going on between the two of them, that when he's asked to go down and retrieve the boy, even though he really doesn't want to, it's like, I should, I I owe him. So I'm going to go down and do this thing for him. And then, of course, he eventually finds out the mixed motives for bringing the boy up, and he kind of struggles with how honest should I be to the boy, and he eventually does tell him. Yeah, he's eventually completely honest with the boy. I think I think he's a good man, but you sh- should know that he has mixed motives for for bringing you. Yeah, bringing you up. Yeah. Speaking of the Dwight, that's speaking of the Dwight Yoakam character. Tell me more of your first reactions to this movie. I just I thought it was a sweet, understated little film that it was just I was thoroughly satisfied I thought the ending was kind of delightfully anticlimactic yeah <laughs> like you're like oh, oh these guys because because the lady I saw that the mother coming. I was just wondering how it was going to play out the mother is connected so she has money and she has hangers on and uh, she wants the boy again I think mostly for leverage and she has people that she and connections with the federales, and they set this this net out to get him. And the one time that you went up to the bathroom, you missed where there there's this the deputy in the small town that kind of suspects, but what's going on here? But he's the the lady that owns Marta, yeah. ki- kind of humbles him into not doing anything right away, and. Eastwood's character gets this reputation for being good with animals because of his breaking the horses, and he's been—he's not a vet, but he's been around animals his whole life, yeah. so he knows some basic People stuff. People keep bringing injured and sick animals in, and he cares for them. The deputy brings the wife's dog, and <laughs> when he looks at it, it goes to the to the boy. It's like I don't have a cure for old, <laughs> and so they just come up with some. It's like let him sleep on your bed. He just needs some time, and, and, you know, just something to pacify the the wife of the deputy. And the deputy is grateful. The deputy does not turn them in when yeah. the, uh, the the main tough comes to town. The gangster, so you better not be hiding him the... from me. No, no, I swear, I haven't seen no gringo in town. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of neat. Yeah, uh, a film that this reminded me of is The Old Man and the Gun with uh, Robert Redford. Did you oh, see yeah. that? I think I have, but it's been a long time. Him and Sissy Spacek, and he's a, yeah. a bank robber who decides oh, yeah, he yeah. wants to yeah, go straight. I, I did see that one. And it's just, that's also a simple story, understated. It's also set in roughly the same period, right around 1980. Yeah. I just thought this works. It was just I was satisfied. I was big grinning. I feel like this movie works better than the critics yeah. led you to believe. But it still has flaws. Yeah, well, and 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 they can. The, the biggest thing you can say is like you've seen this. It's like this is another Clint Eastwood farewell movie. <laughs> we really need that. Well, and but he just works like like he knows what he's good at, and he and he continues to be good at doing that basic, simple kind of story. To a certain extent, I mean, he, his age is showing in this in yeah. this movie. It's uh, not clear exactly how old he's supposed to be. I, I don't yeah. think he's supposed to be like 91, which no. is like what he is. Dwight Yoakam was a little bit 
over the top, a little bit too earnest in a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And those like phone scenes where it's just him on the phone on one end of the phone and, and uh, Clint Eastwood on the other end, a little too heavy handed. Another thought I had was Rafo. He's supposed to be 13 in the movie. It's like 15, 16. He looks 20. <laughs> I liked him. He was good. I liked their relationship. Well, now, like, this movie wouldn't have worked if those two didn't have a certain chemistry. When he tries to drive the car and Clint Eastwood tells him, no, I'm driving. In my head, it, like I had to remind myself, oh, he's only supposed to be 13 because he looks like he should be able to drive the car. Mm-hmm. And then we forgot about Macho, the, the fighting cock. Yes. The prized fight, fighting cock. Yep. Who uh, Rafa is very attached to. Mm-hmm. Makes a big deal out of it. He accompanies them all along the journey, even into restaurants. Yeah. And he ends up being pretty important to the plot towards the end, which was kind of neat. It's like, oh, yeah. there's a payoff. Yeah. Well, and at the end of the movie, Clint Eastwood, Mike Milo, delivers Rafo to the border to his father, Howard Polk, played by Dwight Yoakam. And Rafo crosses the border, and Clint Eastwood goes and gets back in his stolen car and drives back to this town and just goes right back to Marta's restaurant. And the movie closes on Marta and Mike dancing in the restaurant to the jukebox that Mike has repaired. It's sweet. It worked. And and throughout the movie, I mean, I I had a feeling pretty early on Mike was going to end up coming back to this town to Marta. Mm -hmm. The question was what the function would be and whether Rafa would accompany him. Like, I wondered if Mike was going to end up going back to Texas, back to the ranch, and then turning around... And, you know, Dwight Yoakam wouldn't be great to Rafo, and he was going to grab Rafo and go back to Mexico. Because yeah. Rafo tells us at one point, if my father didn't want me, I'd just come back to this town. Yeah. So. Mm. And, and when they're talking towards the end, and maybe the, the boys' outrage might be a little overplayed. That might be a critique of the movie. He also, his acting was a little bit over the top. Yeah. But they basically, I mean, that seems to be what they communicate. Look, if, if you don't like it, you can leave. It's like nothing stopped you. You left your mom. Yeah. <laughs> you can leave him if he turns out to be an a-hole. So. Yeah. yeah. It's everyone's acting is satisfactory, more forced than Clint Eastwood's. Yeah. You know, his was the weakest. I'm not sure how many of these, more of these I want to see Clint Eastwood yeah, act in. Mm. He's, he does a fine job as a, as a director and Sully is another great example of that. He did great just directing that and didn't need to be in it. And I'm not entirely sure why he keeps pigeonholing himself in as a, in an acting role in some of these. I think he just kind of like, yeah, I'm up to it. He just kind of periodically assesses himself and saying, yeah, I can still do it. I mean, one like The Mule, I think, works a little bit better than yeah, this. Yeah, The Mule's a little better. Yeah. yeah. The Mule is better. But again, I was surprised. I expected not to like this as much as I did. Yeah. yeah how would you rate this movie? I would give it three stars. I think I'd give it seven on the ten-star scale. We're pretty close. I'm right in that like two, two and a half range. And I think I'm only going to give this six out of ten on the ten star scale. But I did enjoy it. This is one of those six star movies that you recommend to people. It's nothing that you haven't seen before, but it's just it's well, executed. well done. And you, you, like the, you like the relationships between the characters. The first time you see Marty, you basically fall in love with her. Like, oh, oh, yeah. She's a sweet woman. Yeah. She is... She is the and I was thinking about this. This is that old trope about Madonna, the Madonna and the whore. And this movie has that. The mother is awful, and she is literally a, a whore. She comes on to freaking Clint Eastwood in it early on. <laughs> yeah. And then Marta is just the saintliest of, of women. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. 
Let's see if there's any good trivia real quick. I guess there's been multiple attempts to get this project made prior to Clint Eastwood's adaptation. The project remained on the shelf for 30 years. In 91... 30 years. What did I say? Yeah, three years, you said. Oh, 30 years. In 91, production on an adaptation began in Mexico with actor Roy Schreider in the lead role, but the project was eventually scrapped. Another attempt was made in 2011 with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That would not have have worked. Yeah. That would have deserved the the critiques of this. It would have been Arnold Schwarzenegger's return to acting after his term as California governor. I'm trying to remember what the first one I saw since he finished his, his stand. That was the last stand that was, which was not also that watch the fight at the end of last stand. That's like 20 minutes long, the siege of the town and don't watch the rest of it. Yeah. I was actually thinking about casting because it's a period movie and I might, they could have basically made this script back in 1979, 1980, basically as is. And I was thinking if you were going to, Make it back then, the three actors that came to mind to cast would have been uh, John Carradine, who would have been about Clint Eastwood's age now, or at least as frail or frailer than Clint Eastwood looks now. Henry Fonda, if he were up to it, he was kind of sickly. Or Brian Keith. Okay. Yeah. It would have worked with, with any of them, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Clint Eastwood apparently wrote one of the music themes that occur multiple times in the movie. It's called Time Lapse, and in the official soundtrack, he also performs it. And these trivia items are coming from the trivia section of IMDb. Macho the Rooster that we've talked about was played by 11 different birds. Clint Eastwood was offered the role of Miko in 1988, but did the Deadpool instead. However... However, he offered to direct instead and suggested Robert Mitchum for the role. That would have also been good. Yeah. Oh, I guess The Mule was also filmed in New Mexico, so this is not the first time that he's directed and starred in movies in New Mexico. So this was released three years after The Mule, which was released in 2018. The last time Clint Eastwood starred and directed in two movies released three years apart were The Gauntlet and Bronco Billy in 1977 and 1980, uh, respectively. How about that? Yeah, this project took so long to get made, it was released 21 years after the death of the author and co-screenwriter Richard Nash. Wow. I think that's good enough from the trivia section. Box office budget for this movie is estimated at $4.4 million. I was going to comment this could not have cost that much to make. It's a small cast. The sets are nice, but... A lot of those are really probably found locations. I mean, you could find stuff that looks like that probably pretty easy. This says that it has a U.S. gross of $10.2 million and a worldwide gross of 11.5. So it made its money back. Yeah. And, you know, he's not killing it for Warner Brothers, but he continues to make money for them. And he has been with Warner Brothers since like the 1950s. That's been his, the studio he's operated. He's made a few for other studios, but he's principally been basically a Warner Brothers contract player this whole time. What other thoughts do you have on this movie? Just that I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I wasn't you said, a big grin movie. A, a lot out of it. I was grinning at the end. I was just so pleased with how things turned out when they when they get the uh, the main tough at the end. It's relatively easy to, to beat him, which I thought was kind of kind of fun. I was going to say another critique of this is what did you make of those few scenes where Clint Eastwood is supposed to be fighting? I thought it worked. I mean, he wasn't doing anything 
like outrageous. Like he punches that one guy. Yeah, I didn't think they worked, especially that first time when like Rafo comes at him, you know, hmm. and he's supposed to deflect Rafo into the car. That was obviously very staged because Clint Eastwood couldn't take or deliver much yeah. anymore. And he when punches a couple people, but yeah, when he's breaking the horses, you'll notice that there's. That's a stunt double. Like, like yeah. if he was actually doing that, you would have seen him much clearer than they chose to show him in this. Yeah, there's a. This movie is not error free. It has a few flaws, but it still works. Like it's good. It, the, the feel of it is good. It Solid. has a yeah. Anything else to say? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah. So episode one hundred. Yeah. Any other thoughts on episode one hundred? You want to impart on recording hundred episodes. Recording. Is epi- it's going to be I mean, released it's basically as episode two years. 100. Yeah. yeah. But we have a lot of other things that are in various yeah. stages of post-production yeah. that are kind of being parsed out. We've probably got at least another 10 episodes that, you know, that have previously been recorded and still yeah, need to come not out. Paid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a fun project. Also, it? congratulations, Nate. Oh, yeah? It's 20 years ago this week that uh, we uh, started oh, yeah. as Mission Companions. Yeah. That would have been, been one up. Yeah. How about 20 that? years ago this week. I bet you didn't realize that one coming into today. Oh. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. So I was thinking when we went to the theater, like, I don't know if we chose the right movie. Because I saw another movie up there, and I had planned to make a joke about this movie, but it didn't come up because we didn't record a lot of movies this summer. Uh I was going to say, you know... X superhero movie or whatever is this fine, but really this whole summer has just been building up to the Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> we should have seen the Paw Patrol movie, and I should have uh, analyzed it as though it were an actual cop movie. It'd be like this movie makes no sense, and make that episode. 100. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it just doesn't hold up. I'll grant you the talking dogs, but they have no kind of like what's the administrative structure between these different branches of the police officer fight a fire dog around? I was like, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> Leave it to you to come up with stuff <laughs> like that. Okay, you ready? Yeah. But, and then... So one of the trailers they played, of course, was for the Venom sequel. Uh-huh. You, you haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen, seen the, the original, original either. Okay. Anyway, I, I saw the Venom sequel a week or two ago. And you were talking about, you know, this movie was to have been made in like the late 80s or early 90s. It just took forever to get made. And I thought watching the Venom sequel, I'd like to take this movie, put in a time machine, take it back to 1991, show it to an unexpected audience. It would make no sense. <laughs> but what, and there's this black goo thing and it's killing and, and, and Woody from Cheers is a murderer and... Yeah. It just, it would be almost indecipherable. Yeah. I don't know much about him. I understand the the sequel works better because it just plays into what it is. The sequel knows what it is more. The first one uh, was trying to figure that out, and it was advertised like a really serious movie. Well, I understood, like, the the studio downplayed that in the first one, and in the second one, they just let him go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird one-person buddy comedy is what it is. Really? And because he's got this alien parasite in him that has kind of a kind of a gruff, eccentric sense of humor to it. He's yeah. always talking about eating people. Yeah. And he's like, we can't eat people. Oh, I want to eat people. And it's like, that is, what got me is that that actually 
retained a certain appeal over two movies. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, what's his name? Did it deserve a sequel? What's his name? Talking to, talking to himself. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy talking to himself for two hours. Yeah, right. Um, it was fine. It, it was, it's, it's, it's an odd, it's a really is there odd be a third? franchise. Is there going to be a third? They may actually integrate it into the MCU now that they're doing the multiverse. Thing. Wait, really? Yeah, there's there's one of those huh. uh, flash sequences at the end where it implies that they have slid from one universe to another, one timeline to another. Hmm. And well, it's not implied. It's they tell you that basically. Yeah. Because he ends up in the Tom Hardy universe because he sees Tom Hardy Spider Man on the TV and Venom, who knows him from other existences, <laughs> like ah, oh, I know who that guy is. Yeah, 20 years ago. Like, we met before we became companions, but you couldn't say that we really had started. We met at Christmas conference, probably, yes. in 2000. And then when you were going home for your surgery, yeah. we talked a little bit at the mission office. Yeah. And, well, and we were aware of each other yeah. otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was this week, 20 years ago, that we were assigned to be companions. And we could have said that back then, this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Mm-hmm. It's been a long friendship. Yeah. 20 years. Did you ever think when we became companions on the mission we'd still be close friends 20 years later? Not really, no. It kind of surprises me. And there's other people that, that I thought I would keep in contact with that I just haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know. Fun stuff. Yeah, 20 years. We, I would say that it was our friendship started when our companionship yeah. started. Mm-hmm. So 20 years that we've been been friends at this point, so... But it's still... You Nate, know, when was, we started this... Woo! 